You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazing caribou studios. Snails. Right. Where did everyone go? Oh, let's just play. No matter how quickly I go, I always seem to come in last. Running in slime, my body's so slow. Everyone else is way too fast. Give me some salt and turn me to jail. Outside this shell, I found the dress. The shell is my cell. Yeah, yeah. The shell is my cell. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm also not an animal expert. Today, we're talking about the snail. Yes, we are. But first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. This is from the Scientific American. The headline is Plants Eavesdrop on Slimy Snails. So plants can't run and hide, so they need other strategies to avoid being eaten. So when a plant is being attacked, whether it is being eaten or eggs are being laid on it, it might curl up its leaves, it might produce chemicals to make themselves taste bad, But that's while the animal is on the plant. New research now shows that some flora can detect an herbivorous animal well before it launches an assault, and that lets the plant mount a preemptive defense that even works against other pest species. When ecologist John Orock of the University of Wisconsin-Madison squirted snail slime, which is a lubricating mucus that the animals ooze as they slide along, he spray that into the soil nearby tomato plants, and that increased their levels of an enzyme called lipooxygenase, which is known to deter herbivores. None of the plants were actually sprayed with the snail slime at all. They just gave them cues that suggested that an attack was coming, and that was enough to trigger big changes in their chemistry. Initially, Oruk found that this defense worked against snails, And he did a later study, and the team measured the slimy warning's impact on another potential threat. The investigators found that the hungry caterpillars, which usually gorge on those tomato leaves, had no appetite for them after the plants were exposed to snail slime nearby, and that activated their chemical resistance. Well, can you blame them? I mean, the little caterpillar's like, Ew, a snail just went over on this. Whoa, snail slime. Yuck. But that's the thing. They didn't actually spray the plant. They sprayed the ground near the plant. Yeah, but there have to be just chemicals in the air that the caterpillar's like, Ugh, yuck. 
<laughs> Gross. Well, the, the research was pretty comprehensive, and as for how the tomato plants detected the chemicals in the snail slime that never actually touched them, they still don't really know. That's like the big mystery, and it's hoped that with future research, the mechanisms that enable plants to perceive these distant cues will be better understood. But it was a pretty cool little uh, little news story I found this morning. For sure, very sciencey. Yeah. Hmm. I love sciencey stuff. Me too. Sciencing is awesome. All right, hey, we have to do a little tiny correction today. Yes, we are not animal experts. No, we say so, and we mean it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just make sure to correct. Last week I said opossums cannot hang from their tails, and in fact that's partially, only partially true. A fully grown adult cannot hang from their tail, but a baby can do it just fine. And uh, you'll, you'll see lots of pictures of babies doing it. They try, they're working out their tails and hanging from twigs and stuff. And like, I'm a baby opossum and I can hang just fine. But when they're grown up, they can't do it anymore. So, yeah. Cool. Partial correction. <laughs> so, with that put away, here's a reminder to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, suggestions. We have a Pinterest. I put the link to that at the end of every episode's show notes. You can also go to tpublic.com and put varmints in the show notes and find all sorts of really classy merchandise that you can buy. And it's, it's really, really cool. If you like our yeah. show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We're everywhere the podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. Also, a referral, if you get a new person in our discussion group especially, is a pretty good way to bribe a certain Paul Chomo out of a sticker. Just saying. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to learn about snails? Let's. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. <laughs> hey. I jump every time she says, hey. Hey! Hey! <laughs> Hey, we are learning about pulmonate gastropod mollusks today, more commonly known to you and me as snails. Yes. Snails are among the earliest known types of animals in the world. There is fossil evidence of snails dating back to the late Cambrian period. Nice. Good one, snails. Yeah. Which means they've been around for, oh, just the last 500 million years or so. Not yeah, very long. Not very long. <laughs> <laughs> In general, snails are characterized by a long, muscular body called a foot, one or two sets of tentacles on its head, and a rounded shell made of calcium carbonate, which the snail can withdraw its entire body into for protection. You will find snails absolutely everywhere around the world. In fact, gastropods range second only behind insects when it comes to the number of named species. So, as an obvious result of this, they are found in many, many locations. They live in a very 
diverse type of, of habitat. They even have particular feeding habits. There are all sorts of shapes and colors. How many species of land, freshwater, and sea snails, sea snails on this planet do you think there are? Oh gosh, there have if to you be had to guess. thousands, right? Sixty thousand species. Wow, and that's what we <laughs> yeah. know about. That we know about. Oh man. And they're constantly discovering new snails. The world's smallest snail was discovered only in 2015. They took some soil samples in China around some limestone rocks. And as they were looking at these soil samples, they found the world's smallest snail. It was less than one millimeter long. It could literally fit in the eye of a needle. Oh, wow. How did they notice him? They uh, they just, they were looking at uh, the soil under a microscope and mm. they said, ah, there's a snail. Hey, look, <laughs> a tiny snail. That was among the six new species of snail that they discovered in those soil samples. Wow. So they're constantly finding new ones. Excellent. The shell of the giant African land snail can be up to eight inches long, and it can weigh upwards of about 600 grams or about a pound and a half. That's the biggest snail, land snail, that there is. Wow. That is a big old snail. That's a big snail. Yeah. A group of snails, this is my favorite fact of the whole thing, a group of snails is called an escargatoire. <laughs> nice. <laughs> They're also called a route or a walk, a group of snails. Uh, the word snail comes from Middle English, from an Old English word, snagel, and that comes from an Old High German word which meant to creep, because, of course, snails are very, very slow-moving. Mm-hmm. Male and female snails do not really have a name. Why no. is that? Oh, we will talk about it <laughs> after the klaxon. <laughs> yes, this is a little warning. Parents. There we go. Here's your little warning. If you haven't had a talk with your kids about where baby animals come from, pause the podcast and, and do that and come back or or do whatever you have to do because Donna's going to talk about where uh, where baby snails come from for a minute. Baby snails and how baby snails are made. We're not going to be graphic, of course, because we never are, but we are going to explain some stuff that might be confusing for small people that haven't thought about this yet. So prepare. Prepare yourself. All right. (laughs) You ready? All right. Do it. All right. So the first thing you should know about these terrestrial gastropod mollusks is that most of them are hermaphrodites. Hermaphrodites is what we call any organism that has both male and female reproductive organs and therefore can produce both eggs and spermatozoa. So they're boys and girls at the same time. They got both parts, most of them. There are a few species that are exceptions. The snails of the family Pomatidae differ from their relatives because they are separate genders. But most of them are definitely hermaphrodites, which seems right. sort of convenient, actually, because if, if you're a really slow animal and you run into another animal of your species, it would be extremely inconvenient <laughs> if you couldn't make babies with that animal. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just going to throw in that because there are 60,000 different species of snails, we're going to speak in very, very 
general terms today because we're talking about land, freshwater, and sea snails. We're just covering all of them all at once. And they a lot of them share the same characteristics, but of course there's going to be some outliers. Well, yes, there are exceptions, but most of them are going to be hermaphroditic. So this is kind of interesting. When they are mature, they can begin mating, but how do they find each other? So before they do the deed, they both approach and start the courtship process, which consists of a series of movements and attitudes that will maybe end up in mating or not. (laughs) Depending on the species, it can take as little as two hours. Think about that. As little as two hours (laughs) or as long as 12 hours. To find their partner, they primarily rely on their sense of smell and touch, as their visual capacity ain't that great, and they don't hear. They can't hear anything. So they recognize chemicals in the air that communicate the receptivity of some other snail nearby. I assume if it's a sea snail, it's probably just chemicals in the water. And during the process, as both land snails get together... They acknowledge each other and they test the odds. They begin to sort of interact in a more physical way and they kind of touch each other with their tentacles and they're like, where are you? Do you want to make a baby? What's going on? So in the final stage of their courtship, this is sort of disturbing, some species use a unique weapon called love darts. And that's not a metaphor. It's a structure of calcium or chitin that only mature snails have, and usually ones that have mated before. So, seen in detail, they resemble pointed darts. So when both are close enough and they touch, they shoot these little love darts into each other, and they're not fired into the air, they're a contact thing, like a needle. Oh, wow. And they shoot the structures, they pierce the skin of the other so that they are united. And this is kind of dangerous because it means that sometimes the darts can damage their internal organs. I know they just kind of look like a tube that just wiggles along, but they do have organs inside there. And they, uh, so that can be, that can be pretty crazy. Now the function of the love darts is not for the transferring of sperm cells, but it's a form of sexual selection. So... Scientific studies have shown that it could increase their reproductive success by damaging the other snail and not letting it mate with any other snails. So you're sort of giving up, you're giving up a little bit for a little bit more surety that your line is going to be carried on. Do you see what I mean? Whoa, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of dark and weird. Dark and weird and crazy. But snails are sort of dark and weird and crazy. (laughs) They are. Dang. I know. And again, depends on the species. Some snails prefer to self-fertilize. And can you blame them? No. (laughs) They're like, I'm not going near another snail. Forget it. (laughs) That's dangerous. Wow. But after fertilization, the eggs go through a process of growth inside the snail until they're ready to be delivered. After that, both of the snails lay their eggs and bury them in separate places inside a small hole made in the topsoil in a cool place. And they uh, typically take, it typically takes a snail egg about two to four weeks to develop, again, depending on the species. As soon as they hatch, they immediately move into a survival mode because their shells are still soft and squishy. And their first reaction as soon as they hatch is to try to find sources of calcium. 
either eating right. the remains of their egg or eating the other eggs that did not make it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> or have Whoa. them hatched. You've got to be pretty fast as a snail. <laughs> Man. Snail life is brutal. It is totally brutal. <laughs> I am shocked. I like, know. genuinely. <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> dang, you snails are like edgy. You guys are hardcore. <laughs> well, so. at least they can't hear each other scream. <laughs> They're completely deaf. Well, I think they probably don't scream because they don't have mouth parts or vocal parts. But they, <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah. we, you got to do what you got to do to get baby snails. This is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so they can feel vibrations, but they don't have any ears. They don't have any hearing. They don't have any receptors to detect sound. So when you see them crawling around... One adaptation that you frequently notice are the tentacles that are on the head of the snail. Yes. Generally speaking, there are two or three pairs of tentacles that allow them to smell, taste, and see a little bit. So on the bottom, there's a shorter set of tentacles. They almost always point to the ground. Those are mainly used for olfactory orientation, getting around by sense of smell. So scent cells on the tentacle surface give the snail a picture of its environment smell, and like Donna said, they also help in the search for food and for mates. And then there's a longer set of tentacles that are used for also olfactory orientation and sometimes for vision. Sometimes at the end of each tentacle is an eyeball. When you're looking at a picture of a snail that somebody has drawn, a cartoon, this is very common. You see those little tentacles and the little, the little eyeballs at the end of them. Actually, it's not a very common adaptation in snails. And in fact, some snails' eyes are at the base of the tentacles, or they're just completely blind, and they only use their tentacles just to kind of feel their way around. Those that do have eyeballs at the end of their tentacles have a few advantages. Their field of vision is superb, so imagine that your eyeballs are in your hands and you can point your arms and your hands in any direction and be able to see everything around you. Yes. So they have that going for them. Yeah. However, there's no muscle in the snail's eye which allows the lens to focus, and there aren't enough light sense cells in the snail's eye to allow it to see color. So in spite of this really, really cool adaptation, snails that have eyes at the end of their tentacles, they can't see too well. Why have them at all? Why have they adapted those eyes there? Because any vision is better than none. That's why. Exactly. For every eyeball on the planet. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Mostly what they use them for are protection. So when a snail retracts itself into its shell, the entire snail goes into the shell. And some snails, like conchs, even have like a hard plate that seals the opening of that shell shut. So if you're a snail and you want to make sure that the coast is clear rather than stick your entire head out or your entire body out and make yourself vulnerable, you can just poke one eye out at the end of that tentacle and look around real quick and then suck it back in to make sure that the rest of your body can come out nice. and the danger has passed. Nice. Yeah. Sneaky. Each tentacle can be withdrawn completely into the head with a muscle called a retractor. However, the retractor muscle only does one thing. It only retracts. It cannot make the tentacle pop back out. So to make that tentacle pop back out, the snail actually has to press fluid into the tentacle right. to kind of inflate it, and then boop, it pops back out. Ooh. So that's how those work. That's great. Yeah. I like that. 
Disclaimer time! The Varmint's podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm thinking maybe this is our first zero ever. Mm, Because snails don't have brains, they don't have spinal cords, they don't really have a nervous system to speak of. No. I mean... No? They have to have some nervous system. They have nerves, surely, right? Well, that's true. They do have a nervous system. They but have, they don't... like... Do they have a ganglion for their They brain? have a ganglion. The thing I read was that their brains basically tell them if they're hungry or not and if there's food present or not. So mm-hmm. it's like a constant little feedback loop. Right. Am well, I hungry? I'd, I'd give them like a one... A like, one? Yeah, I feel like if it's a zero, it means that you've got like no, like nothing, you know? Like a virus has yeah. nothing. Because it's got, it's just a little protein shell that relies on physics to get around, right? So, right. Uh, and it's not alive. So, to me, a zero I is guess like, a one I'm is not fair. a living thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess that's fair enough. A one is. Yeah. Boy, I feel like even that's generous for a snail, though. Nah, they, I, I think they're. They're one. They're a one. <laughs> Think of all the chemical sen- sensing that's going on in there. There's no problem solving, but I mean, that's pretty advanced stuff if you think about it. Yeah. All the stuff that drives them around is like they're much more more uh, reliant on the chemical world in a way that that is really obvious, I guess, more than anybody else. We all are, but. I don't know. That's still, that's a pretty advanced form of life and really effective if it's 500 million years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think we're at least that far away from the eventual snail takeover of the planet. (laughs) I always think it's funny when you say that because there's there's no animal that's going to take over this planet. No, probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, snails are kind of cute, though. They are kind of cute in a weird little squishy, slimy way. Yeah, they're kind of strange little guys. Yeah. My friends in England had a fish tank, and they had some little snails in there to eat the algae. Um, so they had one wall of the tank that they just left covered with algae, and the little snail made little tracks in the algae everywhere. Like, whee! You could see a little snail track as it was eating the algae. <laughs> Oh, wow. My friend Ryan has them in his fish tank, too. He has little freshwater snails, and he, he they're, they're like, they're kind of like sea monkeys in there. They live and die, and they make new snails, and he never really has to buy more of them because they're always making their own little babies, and he's he's always has a supply of snails in his tank. It's yeah, pretty cool. You don't really have to do anything about it. Nope. I don't want them in my tank for various reasons, but... Uh, yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty cool little animals. So they yeah. sure are. Hooray for snails! Not that smart, but that's okay. <laughs> and we are going to talk about snails and pop culture and a couple other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Do you like sci-fi, AI, and technology? Do you enjoy going on tangents and down random rabbit holes of a subject? Then join me and my friends each week on Brokebot Mountain as some artificially intelligent people attempt to walk through a maze that explores themes of existence and free thought in sci-fi TV, movies, and books. 
The conversations are unique and bring an unusual perspective to the genre and can literally go anywhere. And we do mean anywhere. You can find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for Brokebot Mountain on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey there everyone, Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. And I am going to start this week by talking about Gary Wilson Jr. That is the full name of Gary, who is a sea snail who resides in a pineapple house under the sea on 124 Conk Street in Bikini Bottom with his owner, SpongeBob SquarePants, that wonderful animated cartoon. Gary is a domesticated house pet. He has a pink shell with a red spiral and indigo spots, a light and blue, a light blue and green body. And in Bikini Bottom, snails are kind of what cats are to the real world. So Gary meows like a cat. He hates baths. Yeah, the sea worms in SpongeBob SquarePants bark like dogs, so Gary hates sea worms. I didn't know that. I have never seen an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, so this is news to me. Oh, you would love it. It's so goofy and silly. In later episodes, it's revealed that Gary is descended from royalty. He's highly intelligent. He plays the ele- he he pays the electric bill for the house. And he actually has a very large vocabulary and he understands the other characters on the show and they understand him, kind of like Groot in the Marvel Comics movies. He just says meow, but everybody kind of knows what he's talking about. Several episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants center around him or relate to him. There's an episode called The Great Snail Race, Shellback Shenanigans, and this episode called Grooming Gary, where Gary is entered into the Bikini Bottom Pet Show. Excuse us, Snelly has to start her training. Training? For the Bikini Bottom Snail Race. Snelly will be winning this Sunday. Sunday? Well, I guess I can't enter Gary in that. Sunday's laundry day. No, SpongeBob. You can't enter Gary because Gary's a mutt. (laughs) Boy, you got that right. Gary's no... Hey! (laughs) Gary is the only main character who has never been arrested on the show, most likely because he's only a pet. And he has a lot of things hidden under his shell. He has an entire house in his shell. He has a Krabby Patty t-shirt, a record player, a diamond, and all sorts of other pieces of junk. And even though he only usually says meow, he is voiced by Tom Kenny, who also does the voices of SpongeBob, Patchy the Pirate, the narrator who sounds like Jacques Cousteau, and several other voices for the show. I hope you get a chance to watch SpongeBob SquarePants. It is tremendous. Uh, they're still making new episodes. It's been going for a long time. I forgot. I forgot when it started. I didn't write it down, but I think there's like 200, 230 right. episodes, something like that. And it's it's such a goofy, yeah. funny, I, wonderful I, cartoon. I, I never had any exposure to it for yeah. whatever reason. I have no idea why. <laughs> I mean, I know what it is, but just. <laughs> Yep. Hey, it goes. You can't. You no. cannot consume all the pop culture. Nobody can. Nobody can. 
So, yeah, when you get a moment, okay. give, it a, give it a look. Let's it's, go to it's another cute. thing that nobody saw and didn't do so good in the box office. <laughs> Did you see the Turbo <laughs> movie? I completely forgot about this movie until... I completely forgot about it, too, and I never, ever saw it in the theater. But it is a cute little movie. It's very cute. Nope. You should see it. It is... <laughs> a 3D computer animated comedy sports film produced by DreamWorks Animation and distributed by 20th Century Fox. It's based on an original idea by David Soren, who directed the film in his feature debut. Um, David Soren is the guy that did like Madagascar and stuff like that. So. It's set in Los Angeles, and the film features an ordinary garden snail who has a dream of becoming the world's fastest snail. <laughs> it was released in July of 2013, <laughs> and it stars the voices of Ryan Reynolds, Paul Giamatti, Michael Pena, Snoop Dogg, Maya Rudolph, Michelle Rodriguez, and Samuel L. Jackson. So why don't you go ahead and play the... Um, trailer. There's a little trailer that I picked out for us. My name is Turbo. I'm Whiplash. This here is my crew. I'm Skidmark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Burn. Sizzle, sizzle, uh, uh. The name is Smooth Move. I set the tone around here, you dig? Now check this. Right about now, I'm moving so fast, the whole world's going in slow motion, baby. <laughs> Here one second, gone the next. They call me the White Shadow. Because I'm so fast, all you see is my shadow. I don't get it. <laughs> I'm fast, like a shadow. Yep, but shadows, they're not inherently fast. <laughs> White Shadow. <laughs> I can still see you. Listen, Garden Snail, you clearly got the skills to pay the bills. <laughs> Snails had to pay bills, that is. Oh, boy. It was a cute little movie. I don't know why it didn't do well, but it didn't. So, yeah. The film was met with generally huh. positive reviews, even. And it earned $282.5 on its $127 million budget. So, they had to take a total of $15.6 right down on behalf of the film. Which is strange. Um... And then there's a TV hmm. series, Turbo Fast, fast action stunt team that was put into a production a year before the film's release and aired on Netflix. So really, they should have been able to do pretty well, but they but they didn't. So burp. who knows? Who knows with movies, right? But there's a video game based on huh. the film, which is called Turbo Super Stunt Squad. And it was released on Wii U, Wii, Nintendo 3DS, DS, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. So anybody that's played that, let us know what your experience was like. There's also a free mobile game called Turbo Racing League. Yes, please. That was developed by Pickpock and released in 2013. And so you might be able to do that too. But yeah, that's it. Turbo. Very cute. Cute little Turbo. Cool. And I wanted to mention for all you World of Warcraft fans in our critter crew out there because i know you're out there because i hear from you there are many snail battle pets in the world of warcraft <laughs> which but there's one that's really cool 
that's a tribute to the Turbo t character, and his name is Zoom, and he is fun to acquire. I'm going to put some instructions in the show notes from my favorite pet battler, ha uh, Hazelnutty Games, and I'm going to put a link in there where she'll show you exactly how to go and get this pet. So I recommend him. He's a great snail. He's fun to battle with, and do it. Go get him. Awesome. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? No, I'm not going to eat mm, that. Snails. No. Have you ever had escargot? Uh, you, and you will not eat escargot. Yeah. See, they're a mollusk, so <laughs> I suppose. But, you know, like, not all mollusks are edible for me. Like, scallops are decent. They're fine. And then, what's the other one? Mussels. Mussels are good. Clams are good. Yeah. So, if they have a more of a muscly texture than than oyster, then I might be okay, but oysters, ugh. If they're anything like oysters, then that's a no-go area. I cannot eat anything that comes with its own snot. No, no, it, they don't. And they're like a they're like a clam but more substantial. I think you would actually like them. Hmm. Maybe I will try them. But I think they're one of those foods that is an excuse to, for for adults to eat melted butter. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You have to have something to put it on. <laughs> yeah. My, my son, Matthew, who is the voice of the news, and he provides technical support of the sh for the show, and, and this show just wouldn't exist without him. When he was about two years old, one of his favorite activities was just to climb up on the table or on the counter where the butter dish was, and he would just sit there in his underwear, sticking his fingers in the butter, and he would just eat butter. Yeah. Which is, I couldn't get mad at him because that's what adults want to do. They want to sit around in their underwear and eat butter. Yes. And, you know, like crab legs and lobster, I think escargot is great. I think it's a dignified and socially acceptable delivery system for adults to just eat butter. I'll have to try it because I am a fan of butter. You, If you like butter and you like clams, you will probably like escargot. I'll have to try it. There's just something weird about the eyeballs, you know? It's like, do you have to eat the eyeballs? I mean, the little Oh, you don't see the tentacles. Like, no, there's no tentacles. There's no eyeballs. They cut their little heads off? They do something where they're just a little blob of meat. Okay. I just don't want it looking at me while I'm eating it. Here, Here's one possible roadblock. They will serve you escargot with the snail still in the shell, and they'll give you a little fork to... to uh, you know, pull the little snail out of the shell and then eat it. Mm. Well, I mean, we have to do that with crab and lobster. Okay, well, so, you're good then. You know, and shrimp, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that might be You okay. might be all right. That might be in your food box. Yeah, that might be in the food box. We'll have to see. <laughs> all right, it's going to be in my goal. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to take on the hobby of trying new meats for the... <laughs> 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 At least for the course of an evening. <laughs> hey, Paul and Donna. Hey. It's me, Vlad Somtonovsky. <laughs> I guarantee you I can help you win your next trivia night. Or at the very least, make you the smartest person in the room. All I gotta do is share with you this, the animal fact of the week. <laughs> 
Thank you, Vlad something Yeah. <laughs> so, he's a very serious guy. <laughs> I keep wondering, though, what I have to do for this information, you know? I, I, I'm, I'm a little afraid. I'm a little scared. <laughs> yeah. On the list of the deadliest animals in the world, a few months ago, we talked about number one, which was the mosquito. Mm -hmm. On these lists, usually the freshwater snail is fifth or sixth deadliest animal in the world. Wow. Yes, freshwater snails are responsible for the deaths of more people than roundworm, tapeworm, crocodiles, hippos, lions, elephants, and wolves and sharks combined. Is it because of their parasite load? Exactly. You might wonder, you know, yeah, why is that? Because snails are slow, they can't see too well, it's not like they're going to come tearing after you across a field to take you down. And yes, it's because of their, their parasites. Hmm. Much like mosquitoes, freshwater snails host a worm which carries a parasitic disease called schistosomiasis, or snail fever, which I'm just going to go with snail fever because it's easier to say. Yeah. That infects nearly 250 million people, mostly in Asia, Africa, and South America. It is contracted just from wading, swimming, entering the freshwater in any way. The worm exits the snails into the water and they go right into you. They penetrate right through your skin, migrate through your body, they end up in your blood vessels, and they can live inside your body for many, many years, even decades. Oh, wow. Well, that's another reason not to go into the wilderness. <laughs> well, just in that part of the world. And it's actually not the worms that cause the disease to the people, it's the eggs. So the worms get in you and they start laying eggs and those eggs will migrate to different organs in your body. They'll gestate. And then once they gestate, they need to come back out of the human body to get back into the water, to get back to the snails where they complete their reproduction cycles. Oh man. Yeah. So on their way out, these, these eggs have big, sharp barbs on them. And as they're trying to exit, they do a lot of damage to cells and tissues in those organs. That can cause really severe symptoms ranging from anemia to fatigue and even death. At, at any given time, about 250 million people are living with this parasite in them. And about 200,000 of them will die every year because of health complications from that parasite. Holy macaroni. It's really bad. So as we said, the, this parasite is only found in sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, and the Caribbean, and it's really, really tough to get rid of. Wow. In Senegal, there was a native freshwater prawn population that was really good about eating those host snails, and snail fever was really rare. Once human activity increased, that prawn's numbers were reduced, and then snail fever started making a rip-roaring comeback in Senegal. So nice. there, there's like nonprofits that are trying to make sure that this prawn has a chance to thrive again and eat those snails that are making these people sick. Well, that seems like a good idea. Yes, and it can be done. This disease was a big problem in Japan, and that country did a number of things with targeted pesticides and making engineering modifications to irrigation canals where these snails were thriving, and just by harvesting these snails and euthanizing them. Hmm. So snail fever in Japan started being a real problem in the 1920s. It was finally declared eradicated in Japan in 1996. So it took a hmm. long, long time for them to get rid of that problem. 
Yeah, no kidding. That's a long time. Yep. Only certain types of snails can host this worm, so you probably don't have to worry about it. It's safe to go in the wa in the water where there are freshwater snails in most places, but it's still a very devastating disease. The Centers for Disease Control recommends that if you are traveling, check to see if snail fever is being transmitted in the country you are traveling to. If it is, avoid swimming in freshwater ponds and lakes. Swim in the ocean, swim in a chlorinated swimming pool. Drink safe water, meaning that it's either bottled or it's water that has been boiled for at least one minute to kill the worms. Right. Uh, just putting iodine drops in the water will not kill these worms and these parasites. I imagine if you are traveling internationally and you go to a country where this is a problem, it's probably going to be in the information they get you, but it's probably a good idea to check too. Yeah, absolutely. The CDC also says that vigorous towel drying after an accidental, very brief water exposure may help to prevent the parasite from penetrating the skin. However, do not rely on vigorous towel drying alone to prevent this disease. And just to make sure when you return home, pay a visit to your doctor and get a checkup. There is a very, very safe, very effective medication that will treat snail fever within like two days. Unfortunately, most of the people who live with this parasite long-term are people that don't have access to this medication. And right. so that's why it continues to be a real problem. Plus in those areas, you know, the freshwater lake or pond is part of life. It's where you live. It's where you gather food. It's where you go fishing. It's where you, you know, it's, it's important. Right. So it's, it's a really, snail fever is a really, really bad problem. It's one of the, one of the deadliest diseases in the world, uh, besides malaria that is caused by parasites and that can, can be, you know, eradicated through a lot of hard work and, and people are trying to eradicate it, but it's still a, it's still a major thing. That is super scary, actually. <laughs> it just makes me even more dedicated to being an indoorsman. <laughs> That's great. Oh, yeah. All right, you want some fun snail facts? Let's end with some fun snail facts, because that was a bummer. Yeah. Prepare to be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, at least mildly interested. <laughs> sure. <laughs> In some places, people eat snail eggs, and they call them white caviar. Ew. Mm. Not in the food box. I think that's where I'm drawing the line. Really? I yeah. Know you had a line. Nah, <laughs> it's a faint line, but I don't know. Snail <laughs> eggs just don't sound that good. Do you like actual, like, regular caviar? Yes. Huh. Well, maybe I'd like that. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't eat it, but... <laughs> I don't eat fish eggs, so. I think part of this reaction is what we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. All right, well, this is going to be even more fun. Okay. Some people like to use the mucus of the garden snail to treat wrinkles, spots, and scars on oh. the skin. Oh, no. Can you imagine? Like, okay, I have so many questions that aren't answered. How do you collect it? Where do you, where do you put it? Where can you get this? Do you just go to the to the department store and go to the little makeup section and be like, where do you keep the snail mucus? <laughs> <laughs> the speed of snails is around 0.5 to 0.8 inches per second. Oh, man. <laughs> Somebody measured that. 
Somebody took the time to measure that. And if they moved without stopping, it would take them more than a week to go one kilometer. (laughs) (laughs) I love the mixed imperial and metric uh, measurements in that statement there. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't do the math, so if you're interested, you'll have to do the conversion yourself. The snails, their shells grow with them. That's sort of interesting. They don't, uh, they don't have to mulch or anything like insects. They just, the shell grows along with them. Right. Sometimes in cartoons, you'll see the snail move out of one shell into another shell, and that just, that doesn't happen. Nope. They're attached. not happen. Okay, so the food of land snails goes through a mouth structure called the radula, which has several rows of tiny teeth inside. And if you go look at a picture of this, it's sort of horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think you mentioned earlier land snails breathe because they have a lung. Yes, one lung. Sea snails have gills. A single garden snail can have up to 430 hatchlings after a year, just one. Whoa. Mm -hmm. The size of a shell is how you can tell what its age is, if you are a person who knows these things. Kind of like counting the rings on a tree? A little bit, I think, yeah. Interesting. Many snails are in danger of extinction, but, you know, there's 60,000 of them, different species. Yeah, some of them are going to be in trouble <laughs> for sure. Some snails hibernate, uh, which is sort of interesting. Did you know that they are largely nocturnal? I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they don't like sunlight. So huh. if you, that's why you find them out on cloudier days and stuff. And if you have them in an aquarium, you have to make sure there's not too much sunlight or they'll stop eating and hide inside their shell. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Yes. Snail mucus will not make people sick. People worry that snails in their garden will ruin the food that is grown there and make them unfit for consumption, but that is not true. Nah. Uh, I don't see anything about whether they're beneficial for the garden at all, but I would, you know... Probably, right? There's probably some use. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'm, I don't know. Anybody that's listening that's in the Critter Crew, if you if you are a gardener and you think snails are beneficial or not, drop us an email at varmints at varmintspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And snails will die if you put salt on them. So make sure that they don't have contact with salt if you have a pet snail or an aquarium snail. And snails are strong. They can lift up to 10 times their body weight in a vertical position. Wow. Yes. So there you go. That's it. That's about, that's the excitement. The speedy, heart-pounding thrill of learning about snails. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very cool. Snails are awesome. They are. They're really cool. Are we ever going to talk about an animal where at the end we're going to be like, eh, those things suck? Probably not. (laughs) I don't know. I can't think of one. They all have their place, you know? They all have their place. I mean, even when we do an episode, like when we pick an animal and I'm at first, I'm like, meh. And then I wind up learning about it. I'm always at the end. I'm always like, ah, these things are great. Even mosquitoes. We didn't think they were necessarily great, but we were like, you know, (laughs) kind of need them. They're in the environment and they're a thing that things eat. So, yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if we could like tamp down the disease portion of it that would be great but 
probably not the best idea to get rid of them type of thing. So, yeah. I mean, even the, even the mosquito, I thought we would end up going, oh, this animal's terrible, and it really wasn't. Nope. So. <laughs> very, very yeah. cool. Snails are awesome. They are. And they're really neat. I'm sort of looking forward to filling up the Pinterest board on this one because I'm really eager to see what sort of different looking snails there are out in the world. Yeah, there's so many of them and a lot of them are very, very colorful and weird and they, they, they're just, they're, they're great. And do look at that Pinterest board because it's really, really, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, I like to listen to the episode and do the Pinterest on the day of release. So if you're too early in the morning, I probably won't have done it. That's what I do when I listen to the show. That's my show activity. So come in Pinterest with me, guys. <laughs> do it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. This podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod, as always, and vocal talent by Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Stacy and Frosty, Josh Hallmark, Chris the Toaf Green, and by you, the Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for continuing to give Blazing Caribou Studios a dollar or two every month. Thank you also for buying stuff from Tee Public, whether it's a shirt or a mug or a throw pillow or a tote bag. We really, really do appreciate it. Every little bit helps. Yes. Hey, it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who's eight years of age or younger and wants to be on the podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at barmanspodcast at gmail.com. For details, we make it really easy for your little Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. Let's listen to the Rugrat. Yes, this week it's Harper. Harper has something to say about snails. Yay. So, Harper, what can you tell me about snails? Um, that I saw one some at my car um, one time, but I can't remember that well. Um, and they're, they have really pretty shells, and I really like them. Do you want to look at pictures of them? No. Why? Because I don't like them that much, but they <laughs> are very pretty. Would you ever eat a snail? No. How come? Uh, people all over the world eat snails. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, Mom. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, yes, that I saw one today on Google, and um, it was really pretty. It was rainbow, and I saw another one that was galaxy. It was really pretty. All right, do you want to say goodbye? Um, yes. Okay, go ahead. Goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> A galaxy snail. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Space snail. <laughs> I like mom. Mom was like, people around the world are eating snails. Don't you want to eat a snail? <laughs> <laughs> Her answer was meh. <laughs> meh. Meh. <laughs> Nicole is her mom, and she recorded that for us. So thank you, Nicole, and thank you, Harper. Really do appreciate that. Thanks, Harper. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. Will you climb up? Meow, meow, meow. 
喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵喵